Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast, presented by Coastal Community Credit Union. Who's helping you take care of your financial health? Coastal Community Credit Union is here to help you reach your goals and do great things. Visit cccu.ca for more information. This episode features two special guests. First, Mark Jakovzik of RSM Canada, who stops by to talk about findings from his organization's recent survey of more than 600 C-suite business leaders across British Columbia. I also interview Michaela Morrow from law firm Perlman Lindholm, who explains how the BC Employment Standards Act sick day changes impact businesses and how they can protect themselves. Our conversation starts now. I am Michaela Morrow. I'm an associate with Perlman Lindholm, and I practice in the areas of employment law, personal injury, family, and other general civilization matters. Perlman Lindholm is a full-service law firm here in Victoria, and we have offices in Victoria as well as on the West Shore. Awesome, Michaela. Well, I'm really uh, excited to have you on. I've got some questions uh, here for you related to the provincial government's change to the Employment Standards Act that happened earlier this year. Um, and I think to jump off, I'm wondering if you can just give me a brief overview of what those changes uh, were, just from maybe even from a from the legal profession's perspective, um, and how it impacts both the employer and the employee. Sure. So, as of January 1st of 2022, this year. Provincially regulated employers in BC are required to provide five days of paid sick leave. And that's in each employment year to all employees who are covered under the Employment Standards Act who have worked more than 90 consecutive days. So this paid leave is in addition to the three unpaid sick leaves that's currently required under that act. And it does replace the three days of paid COVID-19 sick leave that expired on December 31st of 2021. So with this, it's important to note that um, neither paid nor unpaid leave carry over year to year if unused by the employee. And that year is defined as employment year, which means that it's specific to each employee's start date. So for example, if the employee started work on June 1st, 2021, their employment year ends May 31st, 2022. Another important thing to note is that this leave does not require employees to give specific advance notice, but the employees are required to advise their employer as soon as they can. And uh, last thing to note on this is that these five days of paid sick leave do not need to be taken consecutively, so they can be used at any point throughout that employment year. You mentioned that it is in addition to the sick days that are already required to be given. Did I hear that? Unpaid, unpaid. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, so the... Employment Standards Act still requires uh, provincially regulated employers to provide three days unpaid sick leave. You mentioned the 90-day period. Does that include kind of part-time and seasonal employees? It does, yes. So the uh, paid sick leave entitlement applies to all employees who are covered under the Employment Standards Act. So that's part-time, temporary, or casual employees. Does the employer have any kind of recourse if it suspects, you know, in a hypothetical situation where an employee has never been sick in five years and all of a sudden this comes up, is there any recourse or is it just kind of like they got, there's so much tightrope walking that has to be done here? There is. Um, So employers should keep a record of absence um, of all their employees always. And 
they are entitled to request reasonably sufficient proof of the illness or injury uh, that necessitates the employee's leave. For employers, you know, they should consider a couple things when requesting those proofs, and some of those include that the employer should allow a reasonable time frame for the employee to provide such proof. They should be aware of any privacy limitations that the employee may face in obtaining that, as well as the cost of proof um, and the availability that that the employee has to obtaining that. Okay, well, that is fantastic. And then the last thing here is, what else can the employer do to protect themselves? And this could extend to, like, do they need to, as of this happening, do they need to update their employment contracts and have the employee sign them? Um, how does that all work? So it, it is specific to each employment situation and whatever uh, contract governs that employee, but it's highly recommended that they should implement programs to either top up their existing leave requirements or change to make sure they meet the statutory requirements now that are under the Act. Because they do want to clarify with their employees that the existing sick benefits, if any, that exist are either not in addition to the five days required under the act or they are. Fantastic. Um, that is all I've got for you. Anything else you wanted to add? Anything I didn't cover? Anything that came to mind? One thing um, to note as well is that the paid leave and statutory holiday pay are separate entities. So in addition to the paid leave being in addition to unpaid leave, it's also distinct from statutory holidays. So employers do have to be mindful if those fall on the same day, the, they are still obligated to pay for both. Hi, John. It's a pleasure being here with you today, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Um, my role at RSM Canada is the national real estate and construction industry leader and a partner in the audit group. My primary focus in practice area is domestic and international real estate companies, and I work with both private and public companies. Regarding the latter, I assist with various engagements related to gold public transactions, including audits, reviews, and related due diligence procedures. RSM Canada provides accounting services and is the Canadian member firm of RSM International, a global network of independent audit, tax, and consulting firms with more than 51,000 people in about 123 countries at last count. We provide audit, tax, and consulting solutions for small and medium-sized businesses, which power the Canadian economy. RSM in Canada first entered the Canadian market in Toronto in 2017 and quickly grew westward, joining forces with several distinguished firms in Alberta. Awesome, Mark. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on here, um, and I'm excited to, to dig a little bit deeper into your organization. But to, to start things off, one of the things that, or the, how this conversation came about is a survey uh, that RSM uh, launched uh, earlier this year. And I'm wondering if you can give me a little bit of background about what the intent was behind developing the survey and a couple of the key findings uh, that stick out uh, from it. Absolutely. Let me do that. So with RSM's expansion to British Columbia, at the Vancouver office, we wanted to make sure we understood the priorities and movements of the business leaders in the area. And, and what better way in our mind to, than to hear directly from these leaders? So this focused local research really allows us to have our finger on the pulse of the challenges facing the region's business community. And the results are based on an online survey that was conducted from October 5th through October 10th, 2021, among 601 business decision makers, a C-suite, company founders, heads of departments who work in companies with annual revenues greater than $50 million and based in Metro Vancouver, the Fraser Valley, Southern BC, Northern BC, and Vancouver Island. 
We are surveyed were in various industry sectors, including real estate and construction. Um, some of the key findings, and maybe I'll start with some you know, high-level statistics as it relates to real estate and construction. So BC real estate and construction business leaders surveyed were more optimistic about BC's economic prospects than any other sector surveyed. And those same decision makers are also the most optimistic in the growth of their businesses' revenues and profits in 2022 as Vancouver continues to grow as a tech hub with companies like Amazon opening offices in the city. This optimism is in spite of these real estate and construction leaders highlighting increasing costs as the biggest hurdle for sector growth in 2022, about 11% higher than any other industry. And 83% of decision makers say that the green economy is important to their business the most of any sector. Uh, statistically, also digital transformation was rated low in terms of prioritized investments for growth. And unsurprisingly, crisis preparedness and talent acquisition were ranked most important. From an economic and labor standpoint, while the optimistic economic outlook is warranted, given that the real estate sector continues to ride this wave of low interest rates, high migration, and speculation, business leaders should, you know, I think, temper their expectations for the year ahead. Uh, and the reason for that is higher lending rates are on the horizon, which will likely put a damper on some housing transactions and growth in the broader economy. Meanwhile, the construction sector is facing a different set of longer-term structural circumstances than real estate, and this is largely due to the growing gap in the supply of labor, especially in the trades. Over time, it's likely that that gap will become more pronounced, calling into question how the sector can better attract and retain skilled workers. And then the last piece I'll touch on here before I turn it back to you, John, is with respect to environmental, social, and governance, which is referred to as ESG. And as companies across many industries increasingly focus on minimizing their carbon footprints, evaluating building materials for sustainability will be a huge part of the development construction process. And although real estate and construction decision makers said in the RSM survey that the green economy was important to them, specific processes to measure environmental, social, and governance investing issues will take on greater importance with decision makers in the construction sector if they wish to secure long-term financing and ongoing ongoing growth. ESG criteria, uh, we're hearing more and more about this. This is something that's increasingly considered by asset managers and investors, and sustainable investing preferences will become increasingly crucial considerations in what will continue to be a highly competitive market. And then just lastly, on the topic of ESG, it will be important for real estate and construction businesses to have the correct ESG policies and procedures in place in order to attract capital from a millennial investor base that is increasingly emphasizing social responsibility and climate change issues. Awesome, Mark. Well, I really appreciate that that thorough uh, explanation of what's going on. Um, I'm wondering if when those results started to come in from those C-suite interviews, if there's anything that surprised you, you know, if you had some preconceived notions uh, going in about what the results may be versus kind of what came out, is there anything that sticks out there? Yeah, you know, a few things surprised me, uh, but the one that you know surprised me the most about the survey findings, I have to say, at the top of the list, uh, would be the very low importance of digital transformation as an investment to real estate and construction industry respondents relative to other industries. So the real estate and construction industry has long been viewed as a laggard with respect to technology adoption. However, it still surprised me to see that there wouldn't be a greater need 
to invest in digital transformation. And just, you know, for the benefit of everyone, you know, when we look at digital transformation, we're really looking at the process of using digital technology and software to create new or modify existing business processes uh, really to help meet the changing business and market requirements. But I think further drawing my attention to this was another finding that surprised me, which was that a lack of qualified candidates was seen as the biggest hurdle in terms of attracting talent to the real estate and construction industry relative to other industries. And I found this to be somewhat contradictory as investments in digital transformation and technology would help attract the much needed talent, particularly during the pandemic. So I think that's really what stood out to me as part of this whole process. I, I was kind of expecting technology and digital transformation to become, you know, more of a, you know, top of the list um, requirement from an investment standpoint, and it, and it's still not quite there. When you take this information, obviously there's this, this PR, this earned media approach that you're using it for, but are you also able to use this to, to help su- uh, support and better advise your clients based on, on trends and things that you're picking up there? Yeah, you know, and I can draw on, a, on an example there. And, you know, one example of how some of this data is being leveraged to help our clients is by running an assessment with them to understand how digital transformation and technology can streamline and automate some of their processes. So let me take a step back. Before we recommend a solution or specific tool, we like to start with a culture recommendation, if you will. And a significant part, from our observations at least, of the cause for slow tech adoption by the real estate and construction industry is running lean teams. And it's hard to change when your staff are at capacity, executing month-end, quarter-end, year-end most of the time, which makes it difficult, if not impossible, to learn about and implement technology. Using consultants can speed up that process, but the in-house team needs to change the way they operate once new technology is implemented. And not doing so typically results in a resistance to change when it is forced on them. So the recommendations we typically put forward, these are more at a high level, really is to you know, A, find a technology that addresses your problems, then get buy-in of that plan from the staff and the team. You would then look to hire to create capacity on the team for change because it's much cheaper to add a full-time equivalent or two than to have a transformation project fail. That would be much more costlier. Um, and some of the best practices we, we see and we recommend is to anoint a change champion who can live and breathe the project and the post-implementation change. So really what we look for is for them to, to help us in mapping out well, what are the high cognitive, high value tasks and what are the low cognitive, low value tasks. You know, automate the latter, these low value tasks, to minimize the burden of admin on skilled staff and augment the former to maximize decision making. So uh, a specific solution that we're working through with a client currently is related to a manual tax compliance preparation process which is made up of many low-value data entry tasks. And the tool that we built for them and continue to augment for them is meant to deal with replacing manual, slow, and error-prone processes. So think heavy spreadsheet reliance. And we want to replace this with automated, efficient, and controlled processes. And one example is what you know we call an extract, transform, load, or ETL tool we built, which deals with the manual process issues. And these tools are automated and standardized. And the win here is really about saving time, fixing errors, rework, and rerunning you know, tax returns and compliance because source information has changed. So when we manually execute data entry, every change means more manual data entry. 
And also from a risk perspective, you know, you're standardizing your approach and adding layers of review through this technology. So the reports generated from new tools are now the place where you can get the required tax information. And on the reviewer side, reviewing tax files is a long, tedious process, and it's a lot of work. So what we do is we aim to give our clients more efficient ways to look for issues by diagnosing or flagging items that need further review. And, and we're, when you're talking about doing 40, 50, or potentially even in the hundreds of, of reviews, things can get missed. So this is really where we see some of the key applications here in terms of the automation that we're successfully you know, putting forward right now. Uh, with the addition of your Vancouver office, I'm wondering if you can kind of elaborate on what drew you to the West Coast. Was this kind of an acquisition-based growth or, or are you kind of starting from scratch out here? Not acquisition-based. Uh, great question. I, I think it's really about you know growth from ground up. So the opening of the Vancouver office marks RSM's next phase of growth and expansion into the Pacific Northwest and you know what's referred to as the Cascadia region. And the Vancouver space spearheaded RSM's activity in this region with office openings in Seattle and Portland following. But with its strong, talentful, and thriving industry base in sectors like technology and trade, Vancouver represented the perfect region for RSM Canada to expand its strong network. The new office will help us reach new clients, recruit, and develop the best local talent and invest in the community. As part of its investment commitment in the region, RSM aims to add 150 full-time positions to its Vancouver-based team over the next three years. And along with audit and tax services, the Vancouver team will provide services and solutions related to digital transformation, which we've discussed, technology consulting, management consulting, as well as transaction advisory. Okay. Awesome. Uh, and then are there any other regions in BC uh, that you're looking at, potentially Victoria, uh, you know, Kelowna, Prince George, uh, or do you figure that kind of co- that Vancouver is going to be able to service people appropriately? Yeah, you know, I think at this point in time, our sense is that our Vancouver office will serve as the focal point for our presence in British Columbia you know, where we will engage with clients within the greater Vancouver area and beyond. So our hope is to continue expanding our business footprint in the region for the years to come. But I think for, for right now, really that hub will be this Vancouver office. Awesome, Mark. Well, I appreciate you you giving some background. And I'm wondering if you can just give me a bit of a, a walkthrough about your journey that led you kind of to, to your current role at RSM. Absolutely. So you know, my journey to partner, uh, interestingly, I think, you know, it started at a larger firm, a big four firm, if you will, prior to joining RSM Canada. And, and while working for a, for a larger firm, I faced the decision, you know, to either continue my advancement at that firm versus finding a firm that would provide me with the personal and professional growth that I was looking for. And, you know, I think specifically, I sought an environment that was focused on the middle market and, and a partnership that was, you know, both nimble and entrepreneurial. And I ultimately made the decision to join RSM as, you know, it was for me at least a better fit for my goals as well as the clients I wanted to service. And, you know, I joined RSM as a senior manager in the audit practice. And, and this really provided me with numerous growth and market-facing opportunities and a commitment from leadership to advance. And RSM leadership provided me with the opportunity to deliver on growth goals which ultimately culminated in my promotion to partner in 2014. You know, change is constant, and the pace of change, it does continue to accelerate. You know, and despite the pressures this has put on every one of us, you know, you know, personally and professionally, and I think it's been especially pronounced during the pandemic, is that, you know, there are solutions available to businesses and their leaders to assist with change. And I think by, you know, collaborating with the team at RSM Canada, we can help manage change and the opportunities it presents. And I'm wondering if you have some advice uh, that that has helped you along the way 
um, that you would want to pass on to other leaders as their own careers are evolving? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do work as a, as a coach and, and mentor uh, to other, you know, individuals who are on the path to partnership, if you will. And I think, you know, the advice that I would give to other leaders and the same advice that I give to them as they advance their careers would be to stay committed to your goals, you know, despite any hurdles you face along the way. You know, there's there's rarely a straight line to the goal line, and and you have to maintain commitment and courage to get there. I would also recommend that they have at least one or two mentors along the way, you know, at least one of whom should be a superior at their organization. And this is really to help steer the course and act as a sounding board. And, and often, you know, there might be more than one mentor or coaches. You know, different leaders have different approaches, styles, and perspectives, and, and this could provide different viewpoints to assist with their journey. You know, certain individuals might have certain strengths versus, you know, other individuals have others. And you want to, you know, take different pieces from different coaches and mentors along the way. I, I found that very useful for myself. Okay. Awesome. I appreciate that. Um, and the final one I've got about on the, the personal side of things is just when you're looking at your career now versus kind of where you started, is there a, a ch- an internal change that you've noticed? It could be kind of personal, professional, maybe in the way that you interact with your uh, team members or employees, how you manage people, um, how you pro- deal with stress, stuff like that. Anything stick out? Yeah, you know, I think personally, at least, I think scarcity of time has made me value my most important relationships far more, far more than when I started my career. And this includes professional relationships, friendships, as well as family. And, you know, time, you know, really is the scarcest of resources, and I'm committed to dedicating my time accordingly. Um, and, and really, it's about focusing your time on the most important things, whether it be professionally or personally. And I think that's what helps you know, alleviate some of the stressors that we have in, in our everyday life and in our careers. And then I think professionally, you know, you, you have to have a willingness to adapt. Uh, and, and so much has changed in professional services over the past 20 years, John, that one has to quickly learn new technical areas, industry strategies and approaches to service delivery if you're going to succeed. I think, you know, that willingness and ability to adapt is, is crucial. Well, I got two quick ones to finish this off. Is there a piece of or the best piece of personal advice that you've received? Anything stick out there? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, you know, some of the mentors that I've had along the way in my journey was really, you know, advice to surround yourself with the right people. You know, team is everything and it's incredibly important having the right team surrounding you. And, and the best teams, based on my experience, are those that are diverse and willing to share a variety of perspectives. And this applies, you know, this applies to professional or business life, friendships and personal relationships. So, you know, hearing those different perspectives in terms of how to tackle issues, how to, you know, you know, look at opportunities differently. I think that's something that definitely helped me along the way. Awesome. And then the last one here, an app or piece of software that you can't live without outside of what your day-to-day kind of office use stuff is. Office in your <laughs> Yeah, you know what? For me, it would have to be Skip the Dishes. There have been many, many lunches and dinners where uh, I've relied on Skip the Dishes to to keep me fed, especially during the pandemic and the whole you know work from home environment that we've all been living. Uh, that's been that's been pretty key for me. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.